out your message notes. We're gonna, I'm going to share a message entitled God's Dream for Your Life. God's Dream for Your Life. God has a dream for each and every one of us. And it's easy to come to church week in and week out and not really catch the vision that he has for our life. Now, you're going to do different things. Some of you will work in one place of business. The others will work in another. Some of you will be employees. Some will be owners of companies. It's not about your vocation. It's about the vision that he has no matter what it is that you do to make a living. And it doesn't matter about your age. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter your gender, your race, your socioeconomic status. Really, God has some core promises for each and every one of us. And we would say it's the vision that he has for your life. And my goal and my responsibility as your pastor is to make sure that I keep that vision in front of you. That life gets busy, we can get distracted, but my goal is to constantly bring our church back to, look, God's got a vision for your life. God's got a plan for your life, and this morning is my attempt to realign us and make sure that we are focused on fulfilling God's vision for our lives. Look, if God's got a vision for your life, I mean, no, it's our responsibility to figure out what it is. I don't want to get to the end of my life having recognized that I spent my life on the wrong thing, that I invested my life in the wrong place. I want to make sure that I'm investing it in the right place. I love what D.L. Moody said. He said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. Something doesn't matter. So some of people are trying to climb up to the top of the ladder. The problem is you get to the end of your life recognizing that that ladder is leaning against the wrong building. And so it's like God to correct our lives. God let us stay focused on what's important to you. I don't want you as your pastor, I don't want you to miss the mark. I don't want us to get to heaven and you say, well, my pastor never taught me. He never shared with me what God's vision was. No, this is your morning. This is God's vision for your life. And it really consists of four things. God's vision is, number one, he wants lost people saved. He wants saved people pastored. He wants pastored people trained. And then he wants trained people mobilized. So God wants to reach the lost. He wants to pastor them. He wants to train them. But how I many know ultimately we don't stay there? We've got to be mobilized to go out and to fulfill the Great Commission. We see this all throughout the Bible. Uh, and when you begin to look at the Bible through the lens of God's filter and God's promises, I mean, you'll see this from the beginning of Genesis all the way into Revelation. In fact, there's more than 60 places where you can clearly identify God's vision for your life as a child of God, as a believer. Uh, Isaiah, I want, to, I want to share you two examples. One's going to be in the Old Testament, and the other's going to be in the New Testament. Then I want to share some thoughts on that. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. Now, this is the scripture and passage that Jesus walks into the temple and begins to speak it as a declaration that the prophecy is being fulfilled in him and through him. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Uh, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. How I many know we're supposed to display the glory of God in this earth? So that's the real call of a Christian. I don't want the world to see me. I want them to see God. I want to get out of the way and say, man, when, when I saw you, that must be what Jesus looks like. 
And so display the glory of the Lord. It says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So they're going to go and do something. So Isaiah's prophecy, and we don't have to get into the minutia of it, but basically there are four key components to it. The first one is to proclaim the good news. How many know the gospel is good news? To those who are perishing and dying, that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave his life willingly, and it's his blood that pays for the atonement of our sins. And how many know that when you break it down, ultimately what God is saying, look, I want people to know me, have a relationship with me. Second thing is to bind up the brokenhearted. I mean, no, it's not good enough just to be saved. God wants us to be healed. He wants to bind up the wounds of the past. And some Christians go to church week in and week out, getting to the end of their life, having never resolved the pain of the past and settled their yesterdays. The third thing is to bestow on them beauty instead of ashes. That no matter how bad things got, God wants to restore your life back to its original intent. The devil came to steal, kill, and to destroy, but God came that you might have life. And that's the restoration power of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter about your yesterday, doesn't matter about what happened. God can restore what the devil meant to steal, kill, and to destroy. And then the fourth thing is to rebuild, rebuild others. That ultimately, God, you're doing this work inside of me so that I can make a difference in the life of others. Now, the early church, all Christians focused on this. It wasn't just a vocation. It wasn't like, oh, well, you're a pastor. You're on staff at a church, so those are your responsibilities. The early church understood, I don't care what my job is. I don't care what I get paid to do. My responsibility is to live my life as a Christian first. I may be a teacher, but I'm a Christian first. I may be a construction worker. I'm a Christian first. Maybe a lawyer, a doctor. doesn't matter. Those are my vocation. But I first have a responsibility to Christ as a Christian to win for him what is his reward. Can I get an amen? We see this all throughout the scripture, and there's lots of places where we could see God's vision for our life. It's said a little bit differently, but it all boils down to this. Now, I want to go to Ephesians 1.17. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. This is Paul's prayer. It's not often in the Bible that we have a place where Paul or any of the writers record a prayer. This is one where we actually have a recorded prayer that one of the writers has spoken out and wants us to grab a hold of. And what we see here is this is really God's vision for our life. Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that. Now, wisdom and revelation are great. I mean, I, mean, I want wisdom. The Bible says, any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. So I ask God for wisdom all the time. But look, wisdom and revelation is not so I can get rich. It's not so I can go and build something amazing and great. It's not so I can go through all the processes at the church. No, no. Look, what we're asking God for wisdom and revelation for, because if I get this right, everything else works. Now, there's nothing wrong with the other stuff, but look at what he says. Wisdom and revelation so that I may know him better. Who's him? He's talking about God. That the ultimate goal in life is God that out of my knowledge and understanding and revelation and relationship with you... Everything in life flows from that. And then look, his second thing is, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, he's not talking about the eyes in your head. Your heart has eyes. 
And it's interesting that everything you walk through in life sees through the filter of the eyes in your heart. So the pain of the past, the, the hurts, all the things that you walk through, when you experience life, you're actually seeing it through the filter of what your heart has experienced. And he said, look, I'm asking God to bring an enlightenment. And he says, in order that you may know the hope. Everybody say hope. We live in a society that's hopeless. They don't have hope. They go in the grind. They're Monday through, through Friday. Most work on Saturdays and some on Sundays. And they just feel like there's no hope. But look what he says. The hope to which you've called me. That there is hope and it's in finding my calling and in my purpose. And he says the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So the prayer is general for me, me, me. And then it's us as a people. Isn't that interesting? That the ultimate of goal of Christianity is never about us. It's always about him. But he's going to work on us so that then we can go and do what he's created us to do to help others. So the first part of God's vision, let me just break down this scripture a little bit more, is to know God. I'm going to know God. Paul's prayer, know him better. Now there is a huge difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Uh, the Greek word here is actually gnosko. Uh, so when he says gnosko, to know, to gnosko God, it's the same word that was actually used when Adam knew Eve. He gnoskoed her. What's that? That's intimacy. That intimacy produced, produced the sons. And so it's not just a knowledge of. Here what we see is God says, look, there, Paul's saying, look, there's got to be a gnosko. There's got to be an intimacy with God. It's not about knowledge. It's about experience. You with me? It's not just about, because if it's about knowledge, then we're just talking about religion. You can have a knowledge of the church. You can have a knowledge of the Bible. But if I don't gnosko God, then that is simply religion. And religion is dead. Religion has no power. It's in the relationship that lives are touched and changed. So we see God wants our heart. He doesn't want religion. He doesn't want you just to come in here and be a perfect person. You're never going to be that anyway. He wants your heart. And look, you can do good things and not know God. Look, this, this is probably one of the most, for me, I don't want to say scary, but most shocking scripture for me. It, it, it causes me to really ponder my life and to really question, do I gnosko God? Do I know God? Look, at Matthew chapter 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me put it like this. Not everyone who prays the prayer at the end of the service that pastor prays. But pastor, I thought you led us in a prayer. Yeah, I lead you in the prayer, but you never hear me say you're saved. I don't know the condition of your heart. We could pray a prayer and the challenge, you deceive yourself. I prayed the prayer. I got my fire insurance, baby. I'm going to heaven. But the Bible says, no, 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 no. Not everybody who calls out. I mean, no, that's a sobering thought. Like, but God, I'm going to church. God, I'm trying to live a good life. Look at what he says. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So in other words, when you know God, you will do what's right, not because you're trying to earn a relationship, but because you have a relationship. So God, I love you, so I'm going to do the things that you love, and it's out of a relationship. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not go to next steps? Did we not go to small groups? Did we not serve on the dream team? Did we not give tithes and offerings? And he says, and in your name, look at what he says. This is what it actually says. Drive out demons and perform many miracles. Now, this is pretty convicting because when's the last time you drove out a demon? When's the last time you performed a miracle? 
I mean, it's not you, but it's the power of God. But he, like, I mean, no, that's pretty sober. Like, like it's, it's been a little while, God. I'm not so sure. And so we think, well, I prayed a prayer. I'm good. Look, he's saying these people have walked in the literal power of God. And it says, then I will plainly say, I never knew. Now, that word right there is that Greek word, gnosko. I never gnoskoed you. You did things because my word is true. The power is true. But the problem is you didn't do it out of a relationship. You did it out of religion. Powerful. Did a lot of things, but we never had a relationship. And our desire here at the church, I mean, you see the vision The vision back here is we want you to know God. We want lost people to come into a thriving, authentic relationship with God. And we live in a post-Christian society. Look, you don't have to go far for people that don't know God. There was a day when I was growing up, I mean, everybody just went to church. That day has come and gone. Everybody don't just go to church. And there are so many people that have never even heard the name of Jesus. And so for us, we're passionate that we're going to go help find those who are lost. Now, how many of you have, have ever lost anything? Uh, anybody ever lost anything of value? Anybody ever lost a kid? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for, for me, Phyllis and I actually lost one of our kids when she was young, and that's one of my greatest fears as, as having young kids. I got four kids. I mean, they're older now, so now I'm trying to lose them. You know, I'm like, go, Phyllis, go, go. Let somebody pick them up, you know. <laughs> somebody pick them up. It'll be all right. But back then, you know, when they were young and cute, we actually had a great fear of losing our kids, and we lost one of them. I hate to say it. It's the only time I've ever lost a kid. I think Phyllis has lost them a couple times. She won't tell me, but I'm just saying. Went to the Children's Museum, and there's about 20 of us. We're rolling the Kyle's family and another family, and a whole bunch of us were having a blast. At the end of the day, we gather up, and we're ready to leave. We think we got all the kids. There's a lot of people at the door, and we're all having fun, and start to walk out the door, and I realized I didn't see Addison, but that's okay because Addison usually carries up the rear. And I thought, well, maybe she's with Steve and Stephanie because Addison loves her Uncle Steve and Aunt Stephanie. And I'm like, that's cool. And so, hey, Steve, Steph, you know where Addison's at? No, don't know where she's at. Well, maybe she's with my mom and papa. You know, Nana, is, is, is Addison with you? No, we hadn't seen Addison. Phyllis, hey, is Addison with you? No, I don't know where Addison's at. Well, now I'm getting a little bit concerned. So, you know, we done went all the way around. She's still not there. But it's no big deal. Like, she's not really lost. We just figured, well, she's probably just still inside the door because she always comes last. And Phyllis goes to look, and she comes out. Her eyes are a little bit scared. You kind of see it in their eyes. She's like, I don't know where Addison's at. So now you start to freak out. There's a little bit of a panic because Addison is lost. Now, when you lose something, I mean, no, I'm not saying, well, look, I got three kids out of four, 75%. Hey, let's just go home. It's all good. Somebody can have that one. No, and you don't take an inventory of what's found. You go and look for what's lost. When you lose your keys, you don't say, well, that's all right. I got my wallet. No, you go find your keys. So now everyone's looking for Addison. And so we start to cross the street, Steve and I. And, you know, he's, he doesn't have as much pep. Like, right, we're still kind of looking. And, and I'm like starting to freak out, Steve, but he's a good brother. He's going to run across. I'm sure she's somewhere. Well, about five minutes of looking and she's not there. We're both freaking out. Phyllis went into the children's museum and couldn't find Addison. She's got the security guard looking. The family's all looking. We got strangers looking like, hey, what's going on? Would, would you lose something? Oh, we lost our daughter. And so, oh, you're terrible parents, but we'll help you. Come on, somebody. How could you? Don't judge me. 
So we're looking. Everybody, now could you imagine the security guard if we'd have walked up to him and said, hey, we're, our, we've lost our dog. He just fell his hand and said, man, that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I would come up straight, knock that, what? go look for my dog. Like it's important. Everybody is involved. And so finally we'd like, well, she has to be on the inside. We're about to call the police. We go one more time and we're looking and searching 15 minutes later. And how many know time is of the essence? Like longer it gets, you just panic even more. Lo and behold, we go look in the back, and she is back in the corner playing. We found her. But I can't tell you the amount of joy and relief that came to my life because we found what was lost. Think about this. God is a dad. And his kids are lost. He's got kids on this earth that don't know him. They've never been around him in the fact of an experience of what it means to be in God's presence. And here he's got kids that are found. Look, he loves this church. He loves each and every one of you. But just like that security guard, what happened? He went out looking and helping us. We've got to know that God loves us gathering on a Sunday morning and worshiping him and praising him. But he also wants us to go outside these four walls and do whatever it takes to look for his kids that are lost. Look at how heaven responds. This, this, this will blow your mind. The Bible doesn't say this anywhere else except in Luke 15, 7. Nothing else causes heaven to do what a lost person found us. It says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who righteous people who do not repent. There is a party in heaven happening because lost people come to know Jesus Christ. There is a party that happens. And it's not about the found. Look, God loves us. He wants to heal us. But at the end of the day, there is a commission on our life to go out into the world and find what's important to God. And that's what we built our church around, Sunday morning worship experience. What's it about? The service is a gift to the lost people that come into this church. We decided the way we do worship, the way I preach, look, I want you to come in, and if you're saved, and many of you are, it's amazing. This is for you, but it's not for you. It is for your kids, but it's not for your kids. I want you to get something out of it. But the greatest gift we could give is that unbeliever that doesn't know God, the one that has been searching to come into a place that doesn't judge them, that doesn't look at them differently, and allows them to sit here. They didn't have to believe to belong. They just came in a safe place to ask questions about an almighty God. We exist to reach your friends, your family members, your co-workers. Think about this. You know, here's, here's what I would challenge you with. We're here for you. They say more than 80% of the people that get saved in America, in America, do so in the context of a Sunday morning worship experience. 80%. That's what God is using right now to reach Americans. And so you've got a safe place for you to invite your brothers, your sisters, the lost people, and say, hey, look, come to church. Well, I don't have a good experience with church. Listen, you ain't been to my church, baby. Yeah, but I don't like all that long preaching. My pastor preaches about 37 to 40 minutes, and sometimes he's even a little funny. You ought to come and listen. Right? Because then you could say, hey, look, just come and see. Come and come and then and then at the end, and this is what I promise you, every service I'm gonna give a salvation call. I'm gonna pray for people to surrender their life to Jesus. And the day you bring that lost person, I give you permission to look to the right or look to the left. And when I do it, if you see their hands, there's never been a greater day that you'll experience in church than that person giving their life to Jesus.
God wants you to know him. The second thing is he wants us to find freedom. Paul's prayer, look, the eyes of your heart, heart being enlightened. Now, enlightened means there's no darkness. And we've got to all take a journey in life to free our heart from the pain of the past. That's where the darkness comes in. Some of you were abused as a child. Some of you grew up in a family where your mom and your dad divorced. Some of you had bad experiences with a spouse that cheated on you. Something happened in the past. And the reality is every person has pain from the past because we live in a fallen world. And if we don't deal with that pain, if we don't allow God to cleanse our hearts and to remove that junk out of us, it will contaminate the way we see and experience life for all of our days here on earth. Look, I love, we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. So what you experience is because of the filter of the pain that you are still holding on to. Whether you're experiencing pain or freedom, it's all based on how you are right now. It's the lens that you see the world through. And our responsibility as a church is to help every person come to church, not just to know God, but to experience freedom in their life. Now, growing up in church, I grew up in church. My parents made us go to church. I mean, every single Sunday, and I'm grateful for it. You know, we'd be sick. <coughs> Mom, I can't go to church. She's like, well, good. Jesus is going to be there to heal you. Come on, get dressed. And I'm like, I don't think he's there today, Mama. I just <coughs> She's like, get up and go. And we just didn't say, I mean, we just couldn't not go to church. And I love it. I think, you know, it was amazing. Uh, but one of the things that I always thought was that an altar call could help me in every area. It would allow me to experience freedom. You know, we came from a charismatic church. And so there are altar calls for everything. I felt like I was on the altar every single week. Come on, somebody. Like we, we pray for you down here. But what I came to realize was I would respond to the altar call, leave out of there, and still have the same old junk. Like, it didn't get rid of the past that I experienced. Now, I experienced a touch of God. I felt better. And so it kind of confused me. And then my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, began to share on this whole principle of God's visions for your life. Like, this ain't original. This is my pastor teaching me and training me and raising me up. And what I realized is I kind of got things a little confused. I thought healing came from God, and it doesn't. Ooh, I know it got a little quiet. Yeah, no, he'll heal you. Yeah, like it, but that's not sustained healing. Look, look at what the Bible says. Forgiveness comes from God. So I confess my sins to God. And the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So forgiveness only God can give. You can't forgive it. It's God. God, thank you for forgiving me. But where I got mistaken was that God could also just drop healing in my heart and I would just be all good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Why? Because I got prayed for. But look at what it says right here. That's not God's system. God has a system for everything. And when we recognize God's system, that's when you begin to live in freedom. See, you could be a good Christian, but if you don't understand God's process, you'll never experience the promise. Look at what it says, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, that you might be healed. What are you talking about, Pastor? You mean i got to have people in my life? Yes, it's the body of Christ. He created a process that you would need people if you were going to experience the greatest freedom in your life. No wonder the devil has been fighting you and making you stay isolated and hurt you at your other church and with other people. And you come to this church and you say, well, I was hurt. I'm not going to open up. And the moment you do that, the devil wins. 
But you, if you only knew, no, 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 I know people are people. I can't tell you people here won't hurt you. But you have to say, regardless of what happens, I choose to jump into God's process to experience his promise. And the promise of healing comes in the context of relationships. It does. And that's the beauty of the church. It's like, God, okay, I'm going to expose myself. Look at what it says, confess your sins. That means i got to be vulnerable. I don't want to be vulnerable, yeah? Do you want to be healed? I just, I, just, I just don't know if I can trust him. No, but you can trust God. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, God brought you to this church in this place around this people. Maybe there's a tribe, a group in here that he's calling me to that I could just share some of the ugly. Because, look, we all have masks. I got a mask. You got a mask. Nobody's sharing all of themselves. You don't even want to see all of me. But the truth is somebody better see all of me. Somebody better, you don't want to show everybody all your stuff, but somebody ought to see all your stuff. You're only as sick as your secrets. And some of you walk in here week in and week out, and you're riddled with secrets, and you wonder why you can't experience freedom. It's because you've never exposed the darkness that is locked into your heart. I wish, and if I could do it, you know, I work hard on the messages. I work hard to stories. I wish I could preach you healed. I wish I could preach you changed. But can I tell you, my preaching is never going to change your life. You can come to church for the next 25 years and never be any different. You've been inspired. You've been challenged. You've been motivated. But that does not equate to life change. Let me give you an example. If it, let me just do this. Tell me the last five sermons that have touched your life. Tell me the times. You're like, one. I can't even tell them, and I preached them. Come on, somebody. Sundays come awfully quick. Here's a, here's, here's a better question. Tell me five people that have impacted your life. See, information doesn't change you. Revelation and relationships do. It's like, oh, I got that re relationship. So it's like, oh, God, thank you for the relationships in my life. And that's God's system to bring healing to your heart. And that's why we created small groups. We're not looking for you to go find something because we think you need to stay busy. Everybody's busy. What I want to do is get you on the path to healing, and the path to healing is finding a tribe of people that are moving in the right direction towards God that you can open up with and be vulnerable with, that will pray for you, that will encourage you, that will give you scriptures. And here's the funny thing. The moment you take off the mask, it's always funny how you like, nobody's dealing with this but me. And the moment you say it, they're like, oh, I'm dealing with that too, and I'm dealing with that too. And I'm, my God, we're all dealing with it. So now the devil's about to get his butt whooped because I got a tribe of people that are all walking through this path to get freedom in our lives and where the enemy would have me be quiet and silenced because of my insecurities and my fear isolate me and be defeated now I get to experience freedom and there's no greater motivation for change than accountability like hey we're going to do this together well me and God know well how's that working for you but you get people like, hey, how are you doing, man? Tell me about that. What's going on? That's how we experience freedom. And we're going to launch small groups in four weeks. And I'm so pumped about it. And again, we, we, we do what we call a free market uh, small group system, which means we just say, what are you doing? Invite people to be a part of your life. So we have coffee small groups. We have soccer small groups. We have crafting small groups. We have uh, all kinds of, we have men's and youth and young adults and young marrieds and financial peace small groups. The reality is, what are you doing? Gather people and let that be the excuse. Because the truth is, that's just the excuse for God's people to get together and find freedom in their life. Hey, and if you're thinking about hosting a small group, 
I want to encourage you. Don't think about it anymore. Host one. In fact, immediately following this service, we have a, a small group host training. So we're going to help equip you so that you can be a small group host. We say host because sometimes it's overwhelming. Like, what am I going to say? It's not about what you say. It's just hosting the people that are there. Like, God is going to move. How many know there is God on the inside of you? He wants to touch those people more than you want to touch them. And I promise you, when you gather, something's going to happen supernaturally, and you're going to experience freedom. So we want to help you with that. We're going to launch them in a couple of weeks. It's going to be amazing. Third part of God's vision is to discover your purpose. Look at what Paul says, to know the hope to which he has called you. Everybody say hope. Hope. Wow, what a powerful word. In a hopeless society, in the world that seems so hopeless, look at what he says, the hope to which he has called you. So what, what, what do you mean called, Pastor? Well, really, the way we would say that today is your purpose, that every one of you have a calling, every one of you have a purpose, and so hope comes when you discover that purpose. There are two great days in your life, the day you were born, Come on, somebody. Thank you. Yeah. You're like, that was a good day, Pastor. Mama, that was really good for you. Come on, somebody. Like, and the day you discover why you were born. And some people never have the second discovery. They never uncover, God, this is how you created me. This is how you crafted me. This is the path you want me to go on. And so for them, they never experience the hope of what God is calling them to. And someone said, well, how do I find my purpose? You got to find your grace gifts. That's the first indicator we believe design reveals destiny. How God created you reveals what God's called you to do. I mean, you don't go get a blender and make it a paperweight. I mean, some of you might. You're like, well, that's a great idea. Pastor, I'm going to go buy one. No, no, you use a blender to make drinks and smoothies. Come on, somebody, right? I mean, you, you don't use a phone as, as, as a hammer. No, the design reveals what its purpose is. So think about this. If God has given you design and intricately made you and you're different, if I can uncover the differences, then I can uncover what God's created me to do. Look at Romans 12, 6. We have different gifts according to the grace that's given to each of us. The grace gift is not something you earned or deserved. God just dropped it in you. So there's grace gift of craftsmanship. That's someone that loves to work with their hands. Someone said, well, I just thought, you know, my daddy taught me how. No, no, if you come alive working with your hands, you probably got craftsmanship in your spiritual gifts. Some people have the, the spiritual gift of hospitality. I mean, you love to have people at your house. Like any excuse, oh, come on over. And you got all that special china ready. You got the special napkins. And so, oh, and besides, you had already pre-frozen seven lasagnas because of the day someone might ask to come to your house. You're like, I already got it. Come on over. And you just come alive. You're like, oh, my God, I just love having people in my house. Look, you would freak me out. Come on, somebody. Like, I'd be thinking about I got to clean my house. I mean, you come to my small group, we're probably not even going to feed you. I'm just saying, it's just, hey, you with the pastor, you getting the word. Like... <laughs> I don't have the gift of hospitality. I don't even know if I'm going to give you water because I want you to leave quick. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'll give you water. <laughs> but it's a spiritual gift. Some have the gift of administration, shepherding. These, and so when you undercover that, you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's my design. So if that's my design, these are the steps I can take to begin to walk out my purpose. And again, we have people in church that have never gone through this. You have a personality. God's given every one of you a unique personality. Those are indicators for the path that God wants you to take in your life. So for us as a church, if something's important, there ought to be a process. Our process is next steps. 
Next Steps is the four-week class that we've designed to help you uncover your purpose. There's four classes, four steps, not four months. I don't need you for four years. It's just four weeks. And in that process, you're going to uncover, okay, this is how you designed me, God. This is how you made me. And as you uncover that, the, the team is going to help you say, well, here's some areas that you could use the gift that God has given to each and every one of you. Class is 45 minutes long. It happens after each service. Food and child care are all provided. And we do that because we believe it's God's vision for your life to discover your purpose. Here's the last thing to make a difference. Paul's final prayer, look at what he says. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So the inheritance is what we're doing with our life. It's like the legacy that Pastor Phyllis talked about. But notice how here he says people. So once you discover your design, once you discover how God created you, now we've got to become a people. We've got to become a body. The body is made up of all kinds of parts that are knit together supernaturally. The first three promises are all about you. That's what's amazing, right? Church is all about knowing God. We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. We want you to discover your purpose. But the last one is now making a difference, which means, God, you've done this for me. Now I'm going to go do it for you. I'm going to go out. I'm going into the highways and the byways. Remember, once you're found, it's awesome. God bless you. We love you. But go into the world right now and win for God the loss that he is desperate to find. I don't know what this cross was, but that y'all got that. Come on, somebody. I had a Catholic moment or something. I don't know what that is. Awesome. Equal opportunity. Here's what's interesting when you look at a people. When you study it out, why people, God? Because nothing of significance was ever done alone. Some of you are making a difference by yourself. It's great. But you'll never make a lasting difference by yourself. There's something to be said when a people rally behind the vision that God has. Well, God has a dream for you. God has a, a vision for you. And for us, part of making a difference, we call it the dream team. That's why we call it the dream team. Some people say, well, my volunteers, our vol we don't say volunteers. It's a dream team because it's God's dream being fulfilled in your life for your life. And everyone's called to be a part of it. I remember... Growing up and being in church my whole life, there was this warped mentality that I had. Eli, you can come out. It was very interesting. You know, the mentality was we pay pastors, we pay staff, you go visit the sick, you go minister to the people, you do your thing. And then when I show up on Sunday, I want you to do your thing for me. Like, I want you to feed me. I expect you to, you know, take care of my families. And the truth is, all that is yes and amen. It's great. But what I realized is that's nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible did the Bible say pastors go and do all the work. Evangelists, you go win the lost because you got a gift of evangelism. You go do it. doesn't say apostles, you'll build these uh, amazing other churches and lead at a higher level. Uh, and, and you just do it all yourself. That's not what it says. Look at what it says right here, Ephesians 4.11. And this was a paradigm shift for me. Even here as we launch this church, what I recognize is that if your church is over 30 people, there's no way one pastor could do all that. And our church is way bigger than that. And God loves his church growing. Well, what's, how large are you going to grow? Well, whatever God wants to do. Like there are no limits. And, and people say, well, it's all about the numbers. 
Well, yeah, it's all about the numbers. It's about how many people go from hell to heaven. How many are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How many marriages are restored. How many kids are off of drugs. How many families come in and serve. I mean, it is all about people getting to know God. But look, it's, it goes even deeper. It says, so Christ gave himself apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And this is what we call for those, it's called the fivefold ministry. And that's people that are typically like on staff as pastors and evangelists and all that. And that's what you see in the American church. But look at it. It's not so that they could do the work. It's not so that they could be the ones that make everything happen. Look at what he calls, so that they could equip the believers. Well, what do you mean, pastor? That means you. So do you know how I win? By equipping you to go to the hospitals. By equipping you to share Jesus at your office. By equipping you to go through the streets and evangelizing and, and touching the lives of every person. By equipping you to pray for people at Kroger's. By equipping you to stop and pause and listen to your neighbor that just lost their son but has nobody to listen to. But because of this message, you said, man, I might need to take a second and just listen. It's a divine moment. And so there's this inspiration and I've equipped you to say, yes, right now, God, you're moving. I am the one that's going to minister to my neighbor. It's an amazing paradigm shift. Well, then what do you mean? Then you're called to make the difference. You're called to go out and to do the thing that God has called you to do. And what do we do it for? We do it for fruitfulness. Look at John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. It's not about just making it to heaven. God's going to judge us on the fruitfulness of your life. He's going to judge you on whether or not you did what he placed on the inside of you. You remember those gifts and those talents and all the personality? Did you maximize the way he created you to make a difference and to see his kingdom populated? Did you pray for people? Did you go out and do outreach? Did you, did you make it? Did you show up on the dream team and greet people in the parking lot and hug people as they're walking up and high-five the kids and love? The reality is I'm not going to stand before God. You will. I'll stand before God for me. But were we fruitful? Showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's what disciples do. What do they do? They live out God's vision for their life. Look at verse 11. It says, I have told you this so that my joy. I love this. What do you mean my joy? That's God's joy. Would what? May be in you and that your joy may be complete. There's a huge difference between joy and happiness. I mean, happiness is when you bought that brand new car. Come on, somebody. You went out, you bought it, it's amazing. And then 28 days later, you got to pay the note. Not so amazing. That happiness is gone. It's like, bye, bye, bye. Happiness is when you show up at the Texans and they win. Happiness is the Astros, come on, baby, going back to the World Series and winning. That's, I mean, that's happiness. But I mean, oh, the next day, we got a whole nother season. They're going to do it again. That happiness is fleeting. It's circumstantial. It's based on what's happening. Joy doesn't matter with what's happening. So this is what I've learned in church. My job as your pastor is not to help every person solve your problems. I need you to know, and it's not very positive, but you're going to have problems for your entire life. Pastor, can't you be more positive? I'm positive your entire life you're going to have lots of problems. So my job can't be to solve your problems. 
My job has to be to give you something greater to live for than your problems. That no matter what hell I'm walking through, no matter what valley of shadow of death I'm passing through, I've got joy in the midst of the circumstance because I'm doing what God created me to do. And that's what he's talking about here. That the joy of God would be complete. Listen, you'd be going through a divorce and still have joy. That God, my life is, seems like a mess, but you're using this beautiful mess. My kids could be turned away from God, and God, I choose to still, I'm going to serve you. You'll be serving, like you never know what these dream teamers that serve each and every week are walking through because they've got joy. It's not happiness, it's joy. That though they're shaking your hand with a smile, though they give you a hug, they may be walking through hell, but you would never know it because God's joy is complete in them because of the way they're living their life. I just want to challenge you. Listen, I know some of you, this may be brand new. You've never heard the vision of God for your life. and Some of you, you've heard this. I, I try to share this at least twice a year, some form or fashion. Because it's important for us to realign our lives. Here's what I would ask every one of us to do. Can we commit the beginning of the fall as we go into this August season and the launching of kids and just this new season, 21 days of prayer. Can we just commit to take one step? Like, that's what life is. Life is about spiritual steps, that, God, I'm going to take a step. Identify where you're at. Some of you need to know God this morning, and we're going to pray in just a moment. It's going to be amazing. Some of you need to find freedom. So what I'm asking you to do is when we start to roll out small groups in two weeks, three weeks, I'm asking you to sign up for a small group. No matter how scary it is, no matter how, you know, nervous you are, you're going to say, look, I'm going to take it. I'm going to a small group. Some of you, it's going to next steps. You've been coming here. Maybe it's your first week. Maybe you've been here for a year and a half, but you've never been to next step. But today you say, I'm going to take my step to discover how God created me. Some of you, it's serving on the dream team, being a part of what God's doing here. Just You say, God, I'm going to take a step. I don't have to take all of them, but I'm going to take a step in my life. That's what I'm asking each of you to do. Let me pray over you. Maybe you could just in this moment, I feel the presence of God in this place. Maybe you could just talk to him and just tell him, just Father, just I mean, whatever the Holy Spirit spoke to you, whatever you're feeling or sensing right now, it's really his presence. And I love this because this is kind of a response time. This is God, you spoke this to me. I want to affirm that. God, I'm asking you, would you solidify your word? But but word without works is dead, you know, faith without works. So you got to say, man, I, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to take a step. I got to do something with the word I'm receiving. But just in this moment, God, speak to him. Tell him whatever it is you want to say to him. Just talk to him. Come on, let's sing this.
begin to wrap up this service, I wonder if you could bow your head and close your eyes. And There's some of you here, when we begin to talk about, I was talking about knowing God. Maybe I read the scripture and the Holy Spirit just convicted your heart. Here's a chance for you to respond to the Holy Spirit and to the presence of God in this place. I want to lead you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of surrendering. What I mean by that is there's something on the inside of you, and I want to articulate what's going on. Maybe your heart is beating fast, and, but you say, God, I'm ready to surrender my life to you. I'm ready to give you everything. I'm ready to confess you as my Lord and as my Savior. And what that really means is I'm turning away from the past, the way I used to live life, the way I used to do things, the way I, I, I walked into this place. I'm turning away from the old life, and God, that we call that repentance, and God, I'm turning towards you, and I'm going all in. I love to say, like, just all in. God, I'm going all in with you. I surrender my life to you. I'm going to give you everything in this moment. And if that's you, just I wonder if you just be bold enough. I'm not going to ask you to come down, but just raise your hand as an act of surrender. Just right now, God, I'm going all in with you. I'm ready to surrender my life right now. Just raise it up high. I'm going to pray right now. Say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Forgive me of all of my sins. Wash away my past. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Live inside of me. Give me a fresh start right now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, worship God this morning.